my name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. While not all shore anglers, and even less so boat anglers, have bass at the top of the regular target list, for a wide range of perfectly plausible reasons, bass are still seen as the most important sea angling species in UK coastal waters. There are a number of reasons why this should be, the most notable of which being its sporting qualities, and right back at the start of my fishing career, its supposed almost exclusive inshore tendency and lack of commercial pressure. Leastways, that was the case prior to commercial pur trawlers discovering their offshore overwintering grounds and the fish buying public being persuaded to see bass as a culinary delicacy through its promotion by TV chefs, who must bear some responsibility here for the current situation the species now finds itself in, where for a range of reasons, some of which are legislative, it's currently being prevented from regaining the strong foothold that it once had. Today I'm talking to Michael Salmon, Secretary of the Bass Anglers Sport Fishing Society, with its aptly suited acronym of BASS, or BASS. Founded in 1973, the organisation is now 40 years old and is still in pursuit of its primary objective of improving the lot of its namesake, Dysentrachus labrax, the European bass, through a combination of conservation and education. Noble Sentiments but, in the current climate, very much easier said than done. So let's explore the organisation's core objectives and strategies, and how it hopes to ultimately win the day, starting with the history of Bass and your role in it. My role is Membership Secretary. I deal with all the members' inquiries. I also sit on the committee. We don't have a Vice Chairman at the moment, so... If the chairman can't make it, I tend to run the meetings, which I have done just recently. Basically, you do whatever you want within the committee. You do the what you feel you're able to, because we are an entirely voluntary committee. We have an awful lot of work. We have at the moment, because there's an awful lot in sea fishing going on, with the sea angling 2012, there's the emergency technical measures that the EU are talking about at the moment which we were responding to, but we have a restoration team for that. We'll get into that later. And as for bass, bass started in 1973, because basically anglers noticed that the bass stocks were, were failing because the commercial fishermen had found the bass stocks to be prolific and the public generally got a liking for bass. And because they were unprotected species and didn't have a quota, who have been decimated. Since then, they've gone on campaigned through various governments and various schemes. They've managed to get the uh, recreational sea angling sector recognised as a stakeholder. They put various plans into the government. Originally, it was the conservation team, and then it was changed to the restoration because the simple fact is there's no point in conserving anything if it isn't there in the first place. And what we're trying to achieve, really, is a restoration of the bass stocks back to its original settings, or at least where we have a shared resource among commercial and recreational sea anglers with plenty of decent-sized fish, mature fish, fish that have bred, because at the moment the 36-centimetre limit encourages juvenile fish to be caught, and under the sustainability definition... Anything that hasn't bred, and it's generally agreed that bass breed at 42 centimetres onwards because they're a very slow-growing cold-water fish, 
then there's no way that 36 centimetres can be accepted as sustainable. And at the moment, the campaign within Bath and the restoration team is for a size limit of 48 centimetres. And the main reason for that is, although the limit is 42 for the breeding bass, we took the view that 48 would be better because not all bass breed at 42. At 48, you could guarantee that it'll at least bred once, if not twice, thereby helping restore the stocks to a decent level. And also, if we just go for the 42, the nets they use at the moment for 36 could possibly still be used because of the nest size. So at 48, they would have to change the nets. And that's basically where we stand at the moment. We're in discussions with the government about this, but at the moment, this being taken over by the emergency measures of the uh, EU, because the EU have silently come to the conclusion that the bass stocks are collapsing. And like everything else, it's pushed by commercial interests. So it's too many fishermen chasing far too few fish, and the price per effort to catch the fish is just going upwards, and the number of fish is going downwards. So as you can see, there's a crossover point, and they've well past it at the moment. And that really, except for bass being in existence for 40 years, which was this year, that is where we stand. We've had various increases in the MLS, the minimum landing size. The first one was 10 inches. We're now up to 36 centimetres. And we would have hoped that over the years they would have done a stepped increase to improve situations, but it seems to have stalled out at 36 centimetres. They came very close to it a few years ago, and then they had a, we had a change, we had a government reshuffle, which put paid to that. And now we're now back with the creation of the new IFCAs and the uh, sustainability laws passed by the EU Parliament to try and push some of the matters through. So where do the figures of a maximum take-home limit of two bass per day, plus an annual total of ten per year, come from? Is that a general target, or more of a constraint within the membership of the organisation? We have a gentleman's agreement within the club that two a day is a reasonable bag limit. I mean, I'm, I don't know how much people, fish people eat, but you, you would have thought two fish, even 36 centimetre bass is a fair amount of fish for something to eat. 10 a year, because we have our own aims and we have got restoration and this is what we want to see. We're not advocating wholesale slaughter of fish and people walking away with buckets and buckets of fish. It's a myth that we are a catch and release society. We are not. We have no rules saying we are. We encourage our members to catch and release, but there is no rule within the society saying they have to practice catch and release. As long as they stay within the law and they respect the minimum landing size, then we have no problem with it. So the catch and release, although, yes, we advocate it. And my local club, Charlie, we took the view years ago that all our matches were practically possible because, obviously, if you're fishing on a high wall, it could be dangerous for the person to go near the sea. We took the view that catch and release was the way to go because there are not the fish in the sea these days. And if it's just purely match angling or pleasure angling, I mean, what are you fishing for? Are you fishing to catch the fish to eat or are you fishing for the sport? And, and bass is the European sports fish, premier sports fish. So that's the view that's taken. And to be quite honest with you, 10 bass a year, I mean, <laughs> even the best person who eats fish all year round, it's, it's a lot of fish. Now, as I understand it, the organisation is not a fishing club in the literal sense of people wanting to fish together for various practical reasons though you do have some get-togethers and fish-ins. So how does the social side of bass work? 
But no, we're not a club, we're a society. We have our restoration aims. We also have a closed forum for members only. Obviously, the members pay the membership fee. They get a magazine four times a year. And we do various newsletters. We also have fishings. This year, we've had two fishings. We had one at Shell Island in early May. And I think it's this weekend that South Hampshire fishing is going on. We also went to the Devon Fish Bumble, organised by the Lure Forum. We we, uh, supported that this year. And fishing is basically for our members to meet each other because we are a nationwide club to share information and basically to go fishing and have the weekend together. We don't have competitions and we don't basically support kill and catch competitions. We don't really believe that it reflects what BAS stands for. So how did you personally become involved? Like me, you're a Lancastrian, and we do get to see some bass here up in Lancashire. But generally speaking, most anglers perceive the species as having more of a southerly bias. The reason I got into bass was I was a member of the NSFA. I was always for years because I believe in that sea anglers need to be represented. They need to get the voice out there, and it isn't just good enough to, to let other people do it. So I was a member of the NSFA. My local club, Charlie, we had a member called Gerard Twigger, who was also a member of the NSFA. I think he was the treasurer, and he introduced me to Bass. And when the NSFA got taken over by the Angling Trust, I joined Bass. And I've been a Bass member, I think, four or five. It could be longer now, I can't remember. And I've been to a few of the AGMs, and as with most organisations, everybody's always looking for volunteers to do whatever they can. And I was sat at some of the AGMs and they were asking for members to volunteer for various posts and they weren't coming forward. So I had a word with the then chairman, Peter McConnell, and he basically suggested that I sit and watch for 12 months. And I I was on the committee just as a committee member for 12 months. And then our then secretary, Frank Whittingham, stood down and I put my hand up and volunteered. And that's, that's how it became about. I mean, I do believe if you put your hand up and volunteer for something, you should at least be able to devote some time to it, if not all your time. Because obviously I work as well. I mean, I'm full-time employed. I have other things I do. So it does take up a, a fair bit of my time. But I'm not snowed under at the moment. Our members actually are very good. I mean, I probably hear from our members 10 times a year. But I also get involved with the, any of the projects we're working on at the moment. There's a project going on in Bangor University, so I'm dealing with that via one of our other members. We've got one of our members who's redesigning a leaflet for us. We have a leaflet, an annual leaflet, or a leaflet that goes round to anybody who wants one. We're putting taffler shops, give out to shows. That's being redesigned, so I'm dealing with that. I help to organise the AGM. I am one of the people who phone around and contact contributors for IGM raffle prizes. And all the raffle proceeds go to the uh, restoration fund. You do what you're asked to do. I organise the trophies for the AGM, get them made by a local firm here. And as for Bass, as for being a Lancashire and why I'm in Bass, yes, Bass is predominantly the membership is Devon and Cornwall and South Coast. But one of the original founders was from Lancashire. Also, we have quite a few members in North Wales. We have actually a few members here in Lancashire. 
We have a few members in Cumbria. We have Island Man. We have them all around the country now. Quite a few members sit on EFCAs. We have members in America, Norway, France, Belgium, Italy, Spain, obviously the Channel Islands and a few other places. We're affiliated with GBAS. We're affiliated with quite a few people these days. So our members also tend to be members of organisations, which a lot of fishermen are. We have an awful lot of our members who are on the Lure Forum. They are on the WSF site, but I don't really know if they're members or not because I'm not a member, so I don't tend to get involved with anything like that. I mean, it's not up to me to say anything about other organisations. I'm a membership of Secretary of Bass, and that's what I deal with. You mentioned uh, the restoration project. Can you now flesh out the bones a little more regarding that? The restoration project started in 1997 as a conservation project, and it was felt a few years later, in 2000, that there was no point in conserving fish stocks that simply weren't there and they needed to be restored, so it was then changed to the restoration project. The restoration project is, is a team within Bass. Their original remit was to get bigger and more bass for everyone. At the moment, there's the Sea Angling 2012, which we're on the steering committee of. There's a lot going on within the angling world via DEFRA, the Cabinet Strategy Office. The restoration team respond to any consultations that are put forward. We were asked by DEFRA to respond to the EU emergency measures which we responded to. We've not heard back from that yet. DEFRA have taken our response and they've gone to the EU, which we should be hearing about soon, hopefully hearing about soon, because it is overdue. We don't know which way that's going to go, whether it's going to go for what we suggested, which is restrictions, or they they probably, because it's an EU-led thing and the French basically dominate that section of the fishing industry, they probably go for tact, which is a quarter. The problem with the quarter, as far as bass are concerned, is it's based on historical catch data and the simply aren't the fish there to support that historical catch data. And they need to look at what's, what's happening now and not what was happening five years ago. And the restoration team, again, are all volunteers. We have Nigel, we have Malcolm, the chairman and Misselbrookie gets involved. There are quite a few people get involved. We have quite a few members who keep their eye on things, what are going on. If we feel we need to respond to them, like the uh, recently they had the Northwest Ifco where they had the Asian Bass Nursery, Malcolm responding to that. So they're there to respond to. You know? The ultimate aim is to restore the bass stocks, and this is where the 48 centimetre limits come from. At the request of the government's cabinet office, I believe that Bass also submitted a management plan to DEFRA. The Bass management plan was drawn up years ago. It was actually drawn up because nobody really had the understanding of the Bass stocks. It followed an extensive tagging program to see where the original Bass, where they migrated, which was run in conjunction with CFAS, DEFRA, Bass and a few other marine organisations. And it was found that bass migrate. They're an inshore species in their early years. And they drew up the bass management plan. This basically sets out the long-term aims of restoring the stocks 
of sustainable fisheries management and effective management and enforcement. Bass wrote it up and devoted the time to it, and it's generally accepted as a good plan, but there are always other interests in fishing, and this this is where it's stalled out at the moment. But the plan itself is still referred to, and we still use it. If you really, really need to talk about this, you need to talk about the restoration team. I don't think we need to delve any more deeply into that one. Better to keep things at a more general level for the moment. Maybe a more suitable question would be to have you outline in a nutshell the fundamentals of the main underlying problem. The underlying problem is there are simply no mature fish around. The effort unit per catch is extremely high. At the moment we have a logbook scheme running, which has been running two years. I'm one of the logbook scheme coordinators for this area. Anglers are asked to record the fishing trips, tell us how many hours they put in, how many fish they caught, if they caught any, and we would like them to record it. And we also have a scale sampling scheme, which Bass have run for years to check on the population growth rates and the recruitment of the juveniles. Like I said, the logbook scheme has been running for two years. We haven't collated any information because it is a long-term scheme. Probably towards its fifth year, we will start collating the information and getting the returns. We also want all the anglers to record the blanks. And in my personal experience this year, that's what I've had. And it is about effort against catch. And this is what we need to see. But it's, this is one of the reasons why Bass is an independent organisation and doesn't accept sponsorship from anybody. We want our integrity to be seen. There are no commercial implications in anything we do. And this is about that. The logbook scheme actually has been run before, but that was just a trial scheme to refine it. And we now have a proper scheme. We've also since, this year in which I dealt with it, we've passed our logbook onto the Irish Inland Fisheries because they are going to run their own scheme in Ireland. Uh, they wanted a model to base it on, so they've had one of our books. They've also had our bass measuring tape, which gives you a, a length to weight conversion and age conversion. They are going to do their own, but we provided the information because we feel anything that Bath thinks they need to support, they will support. They have no problem about doing it. We like the resources occasionally and we're all very busy. But yes. So what part do unregulated gill nets, which anglers are always getting upset about, and poor trawlers working offshore on the overwintering grounds, actually play in the current decline? Gill nets are still a problem. We're more concerned about illegal netting at the moment. They've created the new EFCAs. And there is no enforcement in this country. And I don't know about you, but I've never been approached by a fisheries officer in this country. It's funny you should say that, actually, because I was checked for the first time ever in 40 years at Cleveland's earlier this year. But to take up on your comments about lack of enforcement, myself and Charlie Pitchers, who I was shore fishing with at Morecambe a few weeks ago, witnessed one of the shrimpers coming ashore with a bucket full of two-inch whiting, which, when asked, he said was destined for the Chinese market. So I reported this to both the local IFCA fishery officer and because I have a seat on the North West IFCA, also to the CEO offering to make a witness statement and testify in court if required, and never heard a dicky bird back from either. So I take your point. Yeah, yeah. I was in Inch last year in Ireland, fishing Inch, and I got approached by an Irish lad. And he was very good, and he came telling us the bag limits and the, the sizes and other things, which I already know. Although he didn't ask to look in my box, I quite voluntarily let him look in my box because 
basically haven't caught anything. But even so, I personally do catch them really so it's illegal netting. I mean, what was it two years ago? The price of bass on Manchester Fish Market fell through the floor because there was that much illegally caught bass on the market. They couldn't sell it, which is absolutely ridiculous. The per trawling has, has basically gone away because they have new nets made out of the same bread we all use for sea fishing, so they do not need to trawl the same size of net. They know where the winter aggregation is, and that is a big, big problem. But this is going to have to be dealt with at an EU level, because Britain only controls the seas to six miles out through its local lifters. It cannot deal with this on its own. It can help, and it has a lot of influence, but it can't deal with this at all. We first bumped into each other at an IFCA meeting back in January of 2012, IFCA being the government's legislative authority brought in to replace the old sea fishery committees. My role within the North West IFCA is as a recreational sea angling representative, and your presence was one of observing a proposed extension to the Morecambe Bay Bass Nursery area, which was on the agenda that day, and has since been brought into play. Prior to that meeting, I myself had already tried to get bass conservation onto the IFCA agenda, hoping to force a vote on bylaw changes. I was thinking in terms of the minimum takeable limit being up regionally from 36 to 45 centimetres, a bag limit of two fish per day including commercial catches, a slot limit of between 45 and 70 centimetres, and if scientifically applicable, a close season as well. Unfortunately, the Enforcement Director told me that if I proposed this, he would oppose any or all of it on the grounds that he simply did not have the manpower to enforce it. I then reminded him that with regard to enforcing a minimum size limit, as there was already one in place at 36cm, that at least would take up no extra manpower, as it was no more than a change in numbers. But still, he wasn't having any of it. So what's your organisation's stance regionally or nationally imposed bag limits, slot limits, close seasons and the like? As it stands at the moment, we would like to see the 48 centimetre limit, as for the reasons I've already explained, for a sustainable fishery. And it is madness that we catch juvenile fish. Personally, I don't know where these people can think they have a long-term future. It seems to be a very short-term gain. Although you will hear a lot of the talk about grandfather rights, and that is fine. I would like my grandchildren to go out and catch bass, as well as a commercial fisherman. Bass aren't anti-commercial fishing. This is a shared resource, but we would like to see a sustainable fishery. Bag limits, it's like I've said before, how much fish can you actually eat? We don't want to encourage recreational sailors to go out and catch fish and sell them on. I mean, in some other parts of the world, there are tagging schemes where they tag the carcass and it's traced back to its end user. It's all about enforcement and its willingness to enforcement. This present economic climate, it probably isn't the right time to talk about it, but they could actually self-fund the enforcement if they were rigorous enough. Whether there's a political will or a will out there to actually do that, at the moment, it's like I've said before, I've never been approached by a sea fisheries officer. I have an island, but I'm not here. I have no problem about being approached. The net sizes, there was an interesting experiment last year on uh, the Bristol Channel where Cephas paid a commercial trawler to put in the bag end of the net, just before the bag end, they fitted a piece of netting with square holes in it to allow the young bass to let, and they put cameras on the nets. 
the problem with the study is they didn't go out enough, they didn't do enough recording, and the, the bit of footage they've got doesn't really show anything. It should have been done a lot longer term and a lot more fishing should have been covered by probably more boats. But this is one of the reasons for the 48 centimetres to make the nets bigger to let the juvenile fish escape, which most nets do, but this is what's going on now. And as for the IFCAs, at the end of the day, there is a big movement at the moment for sustainable fisheries. And if you're catching juvenile fish, there's no way that could ever, ever be classed as sustainable. You missed out on slot limits there, where big fish with a proven ability to evade predation and to spawn, along with juvenile fish, must go back, as well as bag limits and licences there in all of that. As long as they're over the 48 limit size, we have no policy within BOSS. We don't have a policy for it, we don't have a policy against it. It hasn't cropped up. If we can get the 48 centimetre sized MLS through, there's always a quid pro quo with any government. If they give you one thing, they want something back the other way. Licences. I was in discussions about the licence when they were brought up by DEFRA a few years ago, and it was an absolute mess. If they go to the game fish the same as a salmon and trout, then yes, they may come, but bass don't have a policy on it at the moment. DEFRA are not talking about it at the moment. If it does come up, we will discuss it and we will respond to it as as we see fit, but we do not have a policy on it at the moment. So what does BAS, the organisation, feel is the best way forward in terms of demonstrating the best economic value from a fishery? In, say, the way the Irish and the Americans have, in turning around a declining resource and making it far more economically viable than before by making BAS a recreational species only? We're not advocating recreational only. We would like to see it be a game species, but we live in a real world, like I said before, it's a shared resource between recreational sea anglers and the commercial fisheries. But on saying that, the economic value of the fishery within the UK, we should have more clear answers when the sea angling 2012 comes out later on this year. But roughly, in all the research we've seen over the years, recreational sea angling has a ratio of 20 to 1 economically compared to commercial fisheries. That includes tackle, travel, accommodation, bait, you name it. Anglers spend an awful lot of money. I personally know I spend a lot of money. I have done the surveys. I mean, I'm going to Ireland now, which is okay, it's not costing me an arm and a leg, but it's a lot of money to go fishing. Hopefully I'll be catching bass, but I've gone and turned to Wales. I spent two days in hotels, spent three days fishing to come away with nothing. And it's a lot of money, but it's roughly 20 to 1. As for Ireland and the US... We have the Irish bass limits, which is close season, bag limit of two in 24 hours. They are still under pressure. They still have trawlers off their shore, which they have no control of. There is quite a lot of illegal netting, but the inland fisheries seem to be quite enthusiastic to try and deal with this. And also, Ireland have also realised there is a vast economic benefit through tourism. Because they actively promote bass fishing. They get a lot of German anglers. I personally have met French anglers when I've been out fishing. I've not met an awful lot of Irish anglers. I have met them, but I've not met an awful lot because you know how often I fish there. But I recently did a survey again in Ireland about the economic benefits of sangling and where I stay, how much I spend, and other things. 
So, yes, they've seen that. This, uh, the US, obviously, we're talking about the stripers fisheries. I personally haven't been over there, uh, although a lot of our members do go fish there year in, year out. Yes, it's good, but they're very proactive. They have a very good lobby system. And also, people could see what was in front of the face, that the fishes were dying out. And it didn't just affect the anglers, it affected the commercial fishers as well. But even saying that, no, there is still pressure on the stripers fishery. And the last two years, there has been a significant drop in the fishery. This has been actually due to not the actual pressure on the, the striper fishery themselves. They've been taking the bait fish to make your omega-3 capsules. And that is where the stripers have come into trouble because I forget the name of the fish. There's a little tiny fish that they use and they squash them down and get the fish oil out of them. It's what the uh, stripers predate on and that this is why there's, there's a, a problem with it. Although, on saying that, I have seen videos of the stripers fisheries in Montauk and it's a bit of a well, gorilla fishing, shoulder to shoulder, running up and down the beach on four by fours and other things. But at least they did something and they're very proactive. And then they also, commercial fishermen take the least profit from the fish they catch. As you go up the food chain and the end users, it's the end users who make the vast profits. And what the Americans did, which was very good, they started with the end users and they worked their way back down the chain. If you regulate the market, then there is no reason to go out and do illegal fishing because if the market's not simply not there to sell them fish to, it turns it around. Another big issue currently, certainly for the conservation lobby, is the perceived effect of global warming and in this particular context, rising sea temperatures. Putting land and communities vanishing beneath the waves aside for the moment, from a purely bass angler sport fishing society perspective, isn't global warming likely to have an effect on your arguments, maybe even to the point of undermining some of them, as food conversion rates bring fish to the 45 centimetre size at a younger age. Recruitment perhaps could also improve, and bass generally should become more widespread throughout Northern Europe. We haven't discussed it as a committee, and I can't really say that I've heard the restoration team discuss it. The bass fishery in the Mediterranean was prolific years and years ago, where bass, because it's warm water, grew bigger, faster. Obviously, with the overfishing and commercial interest, people probably don't realise there was ever bass fishery in the Mediterranean these days. We also have a similar situation here, where you'll hear in the next year or two that the fish, the original Wilson and Pickett report said, Basically, bass reach maturity at 42 centimetres. There is a thing going around now where they found that bass are maturing before that. But you get this a lot with any species of animal, and it doesn't matter if it's bass, mammals, where if they're under severe pressure, they will try to breed earlier. Uh, as for the water getting warmer, yes, you can't deny that global warming is happening. So we also have a, a same problem with the like they have in America for the stripers, where the sand eel have been taken out to the North Sea for pig fishing food. So the uh, only Western Salt campaign about discard. Now, bass do support that there should be no discard and that commercial fishermen should land everything they catch. Now, we're not happy about some of them going to food, but at the end of the day, it should stop a lot of juvenile fish because the, the, the commercial fishermen should be targeting more economically valuable larger fish. But what about its potential effect on recruitment and survival rates? Uh, the recruitment since 2008 has been extremely poor. 
I was in Ireland in 2011 and it was minus 15. I was on a beach fishing and it was actually more comfortable to wade into the surf and stand in the surf than stand on the beach. We've had very, very poor recruitment for the last four years. This year, we've only had three net reports because Bass knew net in the vestuaries and checked the zero group years and the one group years. The initial findings, we haven't seen anything. It's it's better than it was last year. Last year and the year before, we had no recruitment at all. We lost basically two years' fish, but it has generally been going down. So this is one of the things Bass do. We do netting of the Tamar and one or two other places, and this is what we try to look at. It's also part of our scale sampling. They'll tell you what year recruitment they come from. And, no, we don't agree that recruitment is increasing. We, we think, basically, from what we've seen, it's reducing at the moment. Although this year may be a good year. You just don't know. And the indications are it's slightly up, but it's up on a very low figure in the first place. So, no. To be able to better appreciate some of the problems faced by bass over and above other species equally under pressure, tell us about bass growth rates and maturity. Well, they breed in the inshore. They stay inshore in the estuaries until between zero and two years old. And then basically they just go wherever they want. Most recognised anglers have come across schooly bass, young bass. Because we're a northern country, we're basically at the limits up to Scotland of their uh, range. And we've got quite cold waters around the British Isles. They're a very slow breeding fish, growing fish, sorry. They leave the inshore waters at two-year-old. They're approximately 10-year-old when they reach breeding size. Now, talking about breeding size, if you went from the present limit of 36 centimetres up to 42 centimetres, that would be two years' growth. And we think that is the kind of growth rate. So this is why we're advocating 48 to get them up to the decent size to make sure they bred twice. But the growth rate is extremely slow-growing. I had a bass from Guernsey a few years ago weighing in at 13.2 and I took a scale from it which put its age at between 19 and 20 years old. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they can live till the 30-year-old. The chances of finding one these days, I would say, is an extreme thing. We're affiliated to G-Bass and they have limits on their matches of 50 centimetres. I would love to have them limits in this country. <laughs> I would love it, but, I mean, you've got to live in the real world and... Uh, 50 centimetre bass, even for our members, it's quite rare. We have, we have one or two members who go out on boats who are quite prolific, but we have a lot of members, such as myself, who hardly catch anything. But generally, it's pretty bad at the moment. It's generally in the, in, in the RSA sector anyway. It's only anecdotal. Within bass, we try to keep our, all our information up to date and scientific, and uh, that's what we try to do. But at the moment, generally fishing. I think the last two winters have done an awful lot of damage to all species, not just bass. Now, anglers obviously blame the commercial sector for the current situation, but we are not blameless in all of this. Anglers, it has to be said, often take bass that are too small, too frequently, and not always for personal consumption due to the high prices they can get if they sell them on. I did a bass survey of my own back in 2002 with the Fileboat Angling Club in Lancashire, at a time when we were still seeing fish from the excellent 1989 spawning year, but unfortunately only one of which made it into double figures. We actually had fish in the sample surveyed that were not old enough to spawn, yet were still bigger than the 36 centimetre limit, which as sea temperatures rise further and food conversion rates improve, could become more commonplace. 
Based on our findings, we then put an increase from 36cm to 45cm forward at the club's 2003 AGM, both of which surprisingly were approved. So there is both a need and an appetite for change. But still, it doesn't happen. What then can Bass do in addition to what you've already tried to ensure the necessary change does come about at grassroots level? I think at grassroots level people need educating. Most anglers fish in quiet. They don't fish in isolation, but they fish in isolation as far as what is happening right in front of them under the water. Because the one thing that's always been true, and it's true today as always has been, people can't see under the water. They don't know what's going on under the water. I mean, at the moment, I don't know about your club, but our club, my local club, Charlie, is suffering because we can't recruit members because there are a few reasons for that. I mean, there's the uh, digital generation, as they call them, the kids, where I went fishing with my father, and that's how I got into fishing. But we have an awful lot of blank matches. People, it's just putting in the effort not to do it. Boss, we try to educate people. We attend shows. We attend the BFFI. We try to get to the CLA every year. Uh, we do the sports fish at Reading every year. We've done the Irish Boss Festival. They used to give talks, but it's, it's like anything else. You only have so many resources, and at the moment, all Bass's resources are going into the restoration team to try and get some of the uh, technical measures shoved through within the government and the EU and the European side of it all. We are thinking of attending some of the bigger fishing festivals with the bass stand and putting Bass's point of view across, which again comes down to having a leaflet to give out, having people manning the stand, volunteers manning the stand. The stand's got to be taken around the country. It fills the back of my car. We've got to get it around the country. It's all done voluntarily. And I think it comes down to education. I personally don't come across any animosity, but I do know I have read it. I've heard about it on the forums. And uh, I'll only comment within Bass because that's what I'm a member of and I'm not going to comment about anything else. I mean, you get this fantastic figure of two million anglers. Yes, they are. But most of them are only anglers for two weeks in a year when they go on holiday. You've probably got a hardcore, I would say, 50,000, 100,000 anglers who fish on a regular basis. If you can reach that hardcore and you can educate that hardcore, then I think you stand a good chance. But getting them to act together... I mean, Bass have been trying to get the tackle trade because the tackle trade make an awful lot of money out of angling in this country. And we've been trying for years, and Malcolm Gilbert actually offered to pay to get their organisation up and running to get them to act together because at the end of the day, the government, like any other government, if there's commercial interest in it, they will respond to it. And it's just getting everybody to act together, and it's, it's a really uphill battle. I mean, Bass has been in existence 40 years this year. We've slowly chipped away at things, but it's 40 years later, we're still fighting for the same thing and increasing the MLS size to a sustainable level, i.e. they can breed, and hopefully we'll not be talking about this for, for much longer, but you never know. Well, I certainly won't be talking about it in another 40 years, that's for sure. <laughs> no. Right, final question. What do you see as the future for bass as a species? Firstly, if you don't get legislative help, and secondly, if you do. And what might anglers themselves do to improve your chances of the latter? To improve the latter, you, as a member of the IFCA, had a copy of that, I'll take it, yes. We'll give this to anybody who asks them. We've, I mean, I personally have had a meeting with my MP, my local MP, 
she gave me an hour and a half, which she was quite surprised when somebody wanted to talk about sea fishing in Bolton, but she was very good and she sat and listened to my arguments and she basically agreed. I mean, I think a lot of people can see the common sense in what we're saying. It's getting it... The government's will have to balance it against the commercial interests. And like I said before, bass aren't anti-commercial. What we do think is a shared resource. As for anglers, we're trying to educate them. We've encouraged all our members to write to all their MPs, which, from my experience, they have. And we've had pretty good responses because we get copies of the MPs' replies. I think most MPs are quite surprised to get these kind of letters. But you've got to get it out there. You've got to make people aware of what's going on. I think anglers are actually seeing the light now because they're just not getting the fish. It isn't just bass. Bass is seen as the prize fish. I mean, uh, catching a 10-pound bass is quite an experience for most people. They fight. I mean, most of the fish, they put up a bit of a fight, but they tend to give up quite weakly. But a 10-pound bass is off. As soon as it feels the hook, it's off, light shots have begun, and you've got a 20-minute fight and you're on to get in. So, yeah, friends of mine have just started bass fishing this year, and that's all they're doing now. It's educating people, getting your message out there. As for the future, where where do we go in the future? Well, the future at the moment is to try and get the MLS raised. We'll have to see where we go with that. There are no plans for bag limits. There are no plans for licences, as we know at the moment. You can never say never, as you well know with government. Things change. We hope the IFCAs are going to make a difference. They should do. The representative of the whole sectors, the MMO, the Marine Management Organisation, have pushed that through. Bass supports the IFCAs. We think the IFCAs is the way to go. In fact, we know DEFRA have told the IFCAs they're the people in charge of this kind of thing. Now, whether the uh, steering group of the IFCAs pushed this through, we don't know. But uh, that, that's the way we think it's going to go at the moment. But what of the future if the IFCAs don't produce the anticipated goods and it all ends up as more of the same? I've just read a report recently that one of our members years ago wrote that he would hopefully see it before our 50th year. We hope to see it in, in, in a few years. He said it's education and persuasion and getting the politicians to see that the economic value and the gain for everybody, the recreational anglers and the commercial anglers, is with bigger bass. I mean, at the moment, we've got a massive aquaculture going on. I don't know whether most of the population know it, but most of the bass they see in supermarkets are aquaculture. I go to Tenerife every year. There's a big black bream and bass aquaculture there. There's some in Turkey, some in Greece. But most of the small bass you see in supermarkets are from these places, which is great. It's not perfect because there are problems with that, but that's not really anything to do with bass. But we take it as we find it and we respond at the moment, there seems to be an awful lot going on because I think the EU have finally seen they have problems. You can say that again. My own view as an outsider to bass the organisation, but as an onsider, so far as efforts are concerned to conserve bass as an angling species, is that all the measures proposed by bass to help the namesake should not simply be a wish list for those who care about the species, but more of a basic no-compromise requirement. The Americans, for example, turn around a far worse situation with striped bass, which now form a very lucrative recreational fishery. All it takes is the will. 
However, with regard to rising sea temperatures, irrespective of the effects, good, bad or otherwise these might have on marine species and communities, I have to say that change of this type, or not necessarily at this pace, is what drives evolutionary change, and as such, our biosphere should not be freeze-framed by do-gooders wanting always to maintain the status quo. Unfortunately, it will also affect some coastal human communities too, so it is quite a difficult one to call. But for the bass, it will arguably do much more good than harm, given a little additional legislative help along the way. My thanks then to Michael Salmon for exploring these problems with us all here.